Uh, I was born in a small town called Masjid Suleiman in southern Iran. I born in Syria. I was born in Hamburg, Germany. I was born in Congo. I was born in Tanzania in a refugee camp. I was born in Singapore. Guatemala City. I'm from Ireland. I was born in Thailand refugee camp. I was camp. born in Mumbai. India. I was born in Vientiane. I was born in England. I was born in Costa Rica. Welcome to Many Roads to Here, bringing the voices of immigrants, refugees, and asylum seekers to a national conversation about migration and identity. I'm your host, Caitlin Dwyer. Today we hear the voice of Sering Dolma, who was forced to interrupt her education and move to the U.S. at a young age. Sering grew up in Tibet, then fled to Nepal when the Chinese took control. Since then, she has lived her life in exile. I'm Deegan Larkin, and we begin Sering's story in Nepal. A 10th grader, Sering had just finished her final exams when her father approached her with a special request to deliver some medicine and take a trip to Kathmandu. I was very close to my father. I said, okay, this is, sounds fun, you know, and we just finished the exam and right away we took up. And uh, so when we get up there, you know, then uh, my dreams kind of shattered. <laughs> they, they arranged marriage and uh, my husband was uh, coming from America so his, his father and my father arranged, and uh, then uh, we got married. My goal and my dream is to, I wanted to finish high school and go to nursing. So my, my dream was I want to become a registered nurse, RN. And especially the seeing the nurses with their white hats in the hospital, I just love those things. And I say, someday I want to be that. And then when my father took me up there, and announced I'm going to be married to my husband. I was uh, so angry, and I, I hit my father like this. And I told him, I said, why you did that to me? I have been a good girl. And uh, I said, why are you kicking me out from home? I said, I have been a good girl. And why are you kicking me out of the family? And uh, and he just stood there, just took it. Your parents always think the best for the, your kids, you know, they plan for the best. So a, he says it's, a, it's a better for you and a boy, it's a good for you. You will have a better life. I have no idea what's America like. Only I heard it, read it, but never thought about it it's this far. And there you are. <laughs> your life is a sad from there. I'm going to be in a American life. Before she learned about her arranged marriage, before she had to fly to America and leave her family and dreams behind, Suring lived another life of loss and migration. Suring was born in Tibet in 1952, just after the Chinese annexed the country. She grew up on a farm with her eight other siblings. Her childhood was comfortable and joyous. There was always food on the table, animals that lived on the first floor, and festivities to enjoy. But her country was suffering. Chinese forces had moved into her home, and her father was in danger because of his pro-Tibetan activities. Uh, they, they, I don't know, two or three Chinese people lived in our house. And uh, then, as I know, um, they live there. I don't know what they're doing. I have no idea. 
And uh, we just uh, go down and uh, we play. And even one Chinese man, we call him uncle. And they give us uh, bread, the Chinese white bread, and candies. We just, uh, as kids, we just love going down there and uh, just uh, play with it, you know, and uh, never, never occur there harming us, never occur there our enemy. And we all know is uh, they are different people from us, and because their clothing is different. Then uh, I am seeing uh, is uh, my father is uh, during day he is missing, and uh, he comes in in the night. So then I guess it's uh, he's uh, hiding in the area that mountain or the kind of hill area during the day, and then he comes uh, when everyone sleeps, especially the Chinese people sleeps who is guarding the house. The 1950 occupation of Tibet by China was, in the eyes of the Chinese government, a mutual agreement between two countries, deemed the peaceful liberation of Tibet. But to the Tibetan people, their country fell anything but liberated. The Chinese government coerced the Dalai Lama, the spiritual leader of Tibet, to sign a document under duress, handing Tibet over to the Chinese. Tibet maintained some degree of autonomy in the years succeeding the Chinese annexation. But by 1956, Tibetan resistance groups started forming to fight back. By 1959, the Dalai Lama had fled the country. As tensions rose in the country, Suring's safe and comfortable life on the farm began to crumble. My family started to uh, skipping in the middle of the night. It's in the end of the year. Uh, end of this 1959 or beginning of the 1960. So the kind of Tibet is a kind of already, you know, lost or taken. I'm sure my parents probably know His Holiness has left. And then is that there is a danger. And it's especially for my father's situation. And they cannot be safe there to live. So once everybody sleeps, and then we escaped with my mother. And uh, servants wrapped her up with the clothing from Tibet to getting to the Nepal. I was wearing a sheepskin chuba. My mother or my father, one of one of them carried me. And one of them carried the kitchen, you know, the stuff like your pots and pans and stuff. We walked at night in the moonlight or in the dark. And uh, especially the, I think it's a, it was kind of winter, so it's very dark kind of rockety road, probably most of the time I might be sleeping. Then we did that for three, four days from Tibet until Nepal border. Being a child that age, you know, small, never thought about it, is something bad going to happen? Is it just enjoy, you know, back on the parents? We Tibetan have a field trips, you know, going to the holy places. I just was thinking something like that. Never, never thought about it, losing your country and leaving your home, everything, until you are not going back. Suring didn't know when her family reached the Nepal border that her childhood in Tibet was over. For the next decade, Sering grew up in Nepal, in a peaceful community, under the towering Himalayans and snow mountains. Her family settled into a community in Nepal made up of mostly Tibetans who had also fled. They watched over each other and cared for their neighbors, 
and participated in traditional dance. Sering played the role of caregiver to her younger siblings, even after dark, while her parents worked long hours to provide for the family. Home life was calm, comfortable, manageable, but to a growing teenager, not quite enough. So then formally, I started my school, and I was 14 years old. I did very well. I loved studying. I loved school. I always had the first place for my exams. I had first place or one class, I got a third, and I was so disappointed myself. So other than that, I did very well. My dream is that I wanted to finish school and be the nurse, and I have a dream there is a nursing school in Okaudunga. I have the aim to go there. Okaudunga Hospital, it's just that, that was my kind of aim for go there. So during that time, I have no idea, but parents arranged my marriage to my husband. Again, it's losing my country is the one thing, and then it's losing your family is another thing. Back in the Tibetan traditional life, parents always choose the girl's life. They will give it away. And that's why I felt like it, you know, that's why I told my father too, why are you kicking me out of the house? What I do? In a, in a way, it's your parents are doing your best for you, but I felt like it, they're just kicking me out and, and lost my dream. I want to be I want to be a nurse, and uh, didn't get that chance. There was a two-week wedding celebration after the marriage in January 1975, and then Suring moved to her in-laws' house in Kathmandu. Her husband had been recruited to work as a lumberjack in Maine, and Suring had to wait out the paperwork to emigrate to the U.S. Just as soon as she'd been introduced to her husband, she had to say goodbye. For 18 months, Sering lived with her new parents, learning the ways of a good housewife to prepare for life with her new husband. Living in a not a family house is not a fun because you have to know the family again and uh, you, you have no idea what kind of family will be. You have to get to know them, my husband's father. I know that their family in the background, in the, I know the family name and all that thing, but still, you know, you, until I come to the United States, I have to live with them and uh, do the things what girls supposed to do. When to see my parents time to time during the making the, my visa process. Arrangements and careful preparations gave way to mishaps and the stress of traveling. Sering lost her visa, then her passport, delaying her travels two weeks. When it finally came time to fly to the U.S., Suring said farewell to her father and her father-in-law at the airport. She boarded a flight to Delhi, the first stop on her fretful journey to America. Then in the, when I was waiting in the Delhi airport, everyone advised me, don't send your documents to anybody. Don't give it to anybody and keep it with you. But the, then... Agencies there who are helping me, they take my documents away and then they checking everything and then they eventually they will bring it back. But I was so scared and my English is very limited. I can read better than their understanding, just bits and pieces. I can just talk with the sign languages. 
And uh, meanwhile, I was just doing myself for the mantras, you know, so I hope my, my document will come back, you know, so, and scared to death and uh, lost and uh, don't have no idea where I'm going to go. Only depend on my husband because he's the reason I'm going through all this thing. in Portland, Oregon at 23 years old, after her husband had moved cross-country in search of a new job. Family life started quickly for Suring in the U.S. She had three children in the span of three years. But as the years passed, she never lost sight of what was also dear to her. When I got here, I still never give up with my education. I, I took the ESL class up and on, up and on many times. I wanted to get to the GED. And I said, my daughter, when she was uh, getting high school degree, I want to get my GED. But it uh, didn't happen. And But then it's, uh, I got the chance after let off. And then I, I can go back to school and get the, not just only the GED, I got an associate degree, early childhood education. And I walked my butt out day and night study. They, especially they, they told me, you will get the GED and the associate degree. Then I said, okay, I'm going to go for it. So I put my foot down, talked with my family, and I got a lot of obstacles between. But I said, this time, I'm not going to give up. the U.S. provided 1,000 immigration visas to Tibetans living in India and Nepal, a plan supported heavily by the Dalai Lama, who was trying to keep his country, culture, and leadership afloat while in exile in India. Up until then, the U.S. had only allowed about 500 Tibetans to come to America because of its concern about straining its relationship with China. The immigrants from Tibet were grouped into 10 cluster sites around the U.S., including one on the West Coast. By 1998, more than 5,000 Tibetans settled in the U.S. With the desire to rebuild what she had lost, her culture and community, Suring volunteered to help the new arrivals. We brought 50 people, and I was involved in it, and that I didn't give up. This is bringing the Tibetan to the U.S., and everybody wants to come to the United States because of the freedom, opportunity. And so I say, I'm going to help. If you, if you don't help, then who else will? With the numbers of Tibetans rising, Suring also got involved in building a cultural center in Portland. We are losing the Tibetan culture, and we don't have enough country. And uh, this is the place the uh, United States gives all the opportunity, and we can, we can preserve our culture, and uh, we can raise our kids. And uh, what we have from the, our parents' background, our parents' history, and so then our duty, our job to preserve the culture to build a center. 
So that's why it's a, it's a, when we had the opportunity to, to build the cultural center, then I was even more involved and uh, uh, did all the, my, my vacations, my holidays, and uh, my weekends, all just uh, put up to that community center. Because uh, if you don't build that culture, and then your Tibetan culture is lost. As an American, I'm a proud American citizen, and a proud Tibetan. Is it now my duty to do the keeping the culture alive? Because from my generation, if we don't take care of it, next generation will lose it. And Suring had even more ideas about how to keep the Tibetan culture alive. She moved to Irving, Texas, to work with her son in his food truck, serving momos, a beloved dumpling made of meat and vegetables. If her customers could correctly answer a question about Tibet, she'd give them a Momo for free. Slowly, U.S. residents were being exposed to Tibetan life. Suring returned to the Portland area after two years, and her efforts to create a stable Tibetan community continued. The community center grew and held events to celebrate the Dalai Lama's birthdays, as well as when he was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. The Dalai Lama first visited the U.S. in 1979, and the Tibetan story of suppression, seizure, and suffering took center stage. In 2001 and 2013, he came to Portland. When we, when we built that central, and uh, His Holiness has visited, and then my dream is achieved. And uh, when 2001, His Holiness visited Poland, and uh, I pray and wished with his money to build it by the cultural center and visit his, his visit to that center, so which is 2013 achieved. And then I told the people, you know, I say, my dream is achieved. And now I'm, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, and that's the happy moment. In 2016, Suring returned to Nepal and India for a four-month pilgrimage with three of her siblings, visiting religious Buddhist sites and recalling the ones destroyed in Tibet by the Chinese. The disappointed 10th grader who was forced to leave her education, family, and culture there had now come full circle. She was revisiting the land of her childhood, but firmly rooted in the life she built for herself in America as an adult. This country has so much to give, freedom. And like my father said, you know, it's a, he, he said that you will have a better life and it's a better for you. So which is, a, my, my father passed away very young. After I arrived here 11 months, he passed away. And uh, I didn't get a, ch- a chance to go back to see him, but he gave me the opportunity to live in the United States. If you do your best, there's nothing to worry about because you have no regret. And uh, I did my best for the community, for my family, for my myself. So from the Tibet to Nepal to India to the uh, uh, America, and I just say, you know, it's a, so much change, you know, every step you change, you come up with. Now I say is that I can survive with anything. 
I'm not scared. Many Roads to Here is a production of The Immigrant Story in collaboration with Portland Radio Project. This episode was written by Deegan Larkin and Fran Silverman. Our audio editing was done by Rick March and Kent Randalls, assisted by Gordon Graham. Music was composed by Corey Larkin. The original interview was conducted in spring of 2020 by Ashley Mosher. Our executive producer is the delightful Sankar Rama. Many Roads to Hear is expanding. We're looking for radio producers, especially those from immigrant communities and communities of color, to join our team. We're all volunteer for now, but we've got dreams. Please email mrh at theimmigrantstory.org for more information. For more stories, visit us at theimmigrantstory.org backslash many roads. Listen live at prp.fm or stream us wherever you get your podcasts.